Amen. I'm turning tonight to 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. And our subject this evening is simply stir up your pure minds. Stir up your pure minds. I want to just read the first four verses with that subject in mind. Stir up your pure minds. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Stir up to put into remembrance, to excite, to be mindful. Uh, Peter is calling on believers to remember, to consider, to think, to remember not just random facts or random events, but to specifically be mindful of the words that were spoken by the holy prophets and also the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The words of those, the holy prophets, and the words of the apostles give evidence not only that Jesus Christ has come, but that Jesus Christ is also coming again to judge the world. Chapter 3, in this particular context, the Apostle Paul, or Apostle Peter rather, makes mention of the intention and the reason why he wrote this second epistle. He's foretelling something. He's foretelling the reality that there will be scoffers. Scoffers who specifically deny and refuse to accept that the coming of Christ will occur. That where is that promise? We've heard it. You've said it, but he's not coming, and they have now scoffed at it. He describes the coming of Christ, how certain it is, and he also describes the burning of this world, and he closes the chapter with what saints should make of all these events. What should we as believers make of the scoffers in the last days? And what should we make about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the destruction of the world? What should we do with it? The end of this particular chapter, which is the end of the letter, also gives us an application. That application is to put us into remembrance and to be mindful of the doctrines and the ordinances of the gospel that were once delivered by the prophets and the apostles. Now, this particular chapter has a natural outline to it. So I'm going to stick to an outline with this chapter because it does it all on its own. In this chapter, the Apostle Peter, under this thought or under this subject of stir up your pure minds, there are three natural headings in this chapter that we'll use. In verses 1 through 7, 
Peter stirs up believers to be mindful. To be mindful specifically of the words of the prophets and the apostles, especially with regard to the scoffers in the last days who doubt and deny the second coming of Christ. Verses 8 through 10, Peter stirs up believers to be not ignorant of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and also to not be ignorant of the destruction of this world. And then thirdly, verses 11 through 18, Peter stirs up believers to be diligent in how you live in light of these things. 2 Peter 3 lines up as a natural sermon. It's like having sermon notes in front of you. There is an outline, there are three points, there is an application. It literally lines up the way a sermon would line up. In the first six verses, or the first seven verses rather, under that first heading, be mindful. Be mindful. Now, you'll notice that he says it is this second epistle. Now, this clearly shows us that he is the author of the first epistle as well. And he says this second epistle, beloved, again, directed at believers, I now write unto you. This letter has a specified audience, the believer. In both the first epistle and the second epistle, I stir up your pure minds. Now, the word pure there is, means to be sincere, but it also has the meaning of being unmixed. Something that is pure is meant to not only be sincerely pointed in one direction, but to be unmixed with other things. It is to be sincerely and squarely focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be sincere in our worship. We're called to be unmixed in our worship of God. We're called to be sincere in our faith of Christ, and that is to be unmixed as well. And we're also called to be sincere and unmixed in our love to one another. Yet, we know these things, but Peter says you need to be stirred up and reminded. Uh, there's no one here tonight, including myself, that does not need to be constantly stirred. Now, we're not talking about stirred up emotionally and stirred up with some kind of, uh, some kind of gimmick. He says specifically, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Uh, it's specifically to remember those words which we already know. Well, why do we need to be stirred up? Because we are forgetful. We're not only forgetful, but we are human. And because we're human, we're prone to forget. And because of that, we constantly need to hear the preaching of the Word to grow spiritually. Uh, in a day and age in which, sadly, many make little about the preaching of the Word, uh, they've traded the preaching of the Word for their own personal devotions. Again, it's not an either-or. To forsake yourself from the assembling of where the Word is being preached is to do severe harm to your spiritual growth. Although many people, even Christians, do not take the preaching of the Word as serious as they should. 
I've done my devotions today. I don't really need to hear the preaching of the word, yet it is through the preaching of the word in which we see that we are stirred to be reminded of these things, to be mindful of them. But he specifically tells them two specific things that they are to be mindful of. The words spoken, be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now this is a reference to the prophets of the Old Testament. Now we know that the Old Testament, those men of God, those saints, they spoke of Christ, not in his incarnation, but they spoke spoke of Christ in his promise, in his prophecy, and spoke by type. So he says, I want to put you in mind about those things. I want want you to be mindful. I want to stir up your pure minds to remember what the holy prophets said and to think about what they were talking about, what what they were pointing you to. And how important that is. In Acts chapter number 10, verse 43, we see uh, just an illustration of this. It, it talks about, uh, about to know who God is. He says, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. Through the Old Testament prophets... They would point and bear witness that through the name of Christ, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. So we are to be mindful of the Old Testament. I know we live in the New Testament, the New Covenant age, but we should not neglect the Old Testament. We should be reminded reminded of what the Old Testament prophets were speaking of. And the second thing we're to be mindful of is the commandment of the Lord Jesus given through us, Peter says, his apostles. Now, very specifically, he is talking about the words and himself. He's he's putting himself into the letter here. He says, be mindful of what we have said to you. Be mindful of what we have written to you. Remember, what you have in your lap today is the inspired Word of God. It is God-breathed. It is the very mind of God. And when we read it, and we read the divinely inspired Word, we are reading those messengers in which God sovereignly chose to pen these letters. Now, God used these men and their personalities They didn't write as robots, but as we've learned over the last few weeks, they didn't always know what they were writing. They didn't always know the fulfillment of prophecies and certain things. But Peter here speaks very clearly. He says, the second thing I want you to be mindful of is the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So we see here to be mindful. Now he doesn't change the heading here in verses 3 through 4. He now says, based upon what you've heard by the holy prophets, based upon the commandment of us, the apostles, and notice that's why verse 3 contextually makes sense. Knowing this first. That points directly back to be mindful of the holy prophets, be mindful of the apostles. Knowing this first, it shows us that not only did the holy prophets speak of this, but the apostles spoke of this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. The holy prophets have told you this. The apostles have told you this, that in the last days, 
there will be those who will scoff or mock not only of sin, they will mock the ministers of the gospel, they will reject the gospel of grace, but especially what he says they will mock here is they will mock the second coming of Christ. They will make it a mockery. They will walk after their own lust. Now remember, chapter 2 is primarily about false teachers. The scoffers are along those same lines, only it takes in a, a little bit bigger of an audience here. It's not just false teachers now, but there will be those who will mock the second coming of Christ. To mock the second coming of Christ means you're also mocking the resurrection. You're also mocking the realities of the everlasting torments of hell. And you're also mocking the joys of heaven. Uh, there will be those that will walk after their own lust. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, we're going to look at, look at two passages here quickly. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 6. Again, what we're doing tonight is putting you in remembrance. These are not, well, let me rephrase that. These should not be new verses or passages to those who are in Christ. These should be familiar. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the later times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be re received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Notice he says the Spirit speaks expressly. Later times, people will depart from the faith. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul writing to Timothy still, second epistle, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So we know that what we see happening in the world, we see the scoffers, we see the mockery. Uh, you probably at some point in your Christian walk have been mocked and jeered because of what you believe. If you haven't, you probably are not living very outwardly Christ-like. Because if you live Christ-like, you will be mocked, you will be jeered, you'll be made fun of. People will say, you don't actually believe that this God, this Jesus is coming again, do you? And that he's actually going to destroy the earth? And that's what leads into the question that's asked, well, where is the promise of his coming? As if the delay somehow indicates that it's not truthful. 
Just because something's delayed doesn't mean that it's not truthful. And by the way, it's not delayed, it's right on time. It's only delayed or non-existent to the natural man, the unsaved man. The object of their scorn is not so much the return, but the return of Christ. The promise of His return is what they scorn. It's what they mock at. There is within every human being this understanding that there is a God. And in order to deal with the reality of what should be a fearful thing, they mock at it as a means in which believing that if I mock it, it will not come true. But their object is, is Christ. And their reason as to why they think this cannot be true is verse 4. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. I would submit to you that all things are not continuing as they always were. Yet that's what their excuse is. So Peter then in verses 5 through 7 goes through three things that they are willingly ignorant of. Things that they are choosing to deny as truth. First of all, look at verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of. And then he gives the list. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. The first thing they willingly are ignorant of is that they are willingly ignorant of the fact that it was by the word of God that all things were created. God spoke this world into existence. The heavens came into existence by the word of God, not the fallacy of some exploding star or the Big Bang. It came into existence by the word of God. He spoke and it was. The evidence is overwhelming that this world was created by a God, by the true God. Yet man willfully, ignorantly overlooks that, denies that. God created it all, and it's by Him and through Him it remains unto this day. The only reason this world continues to spin on its axis is because God is sustaining it. Science is not doing anything to hold this world in existence. God is. He who created. That's the first thing they're only ignorant of. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was... Notice the wording there, being overflowed with water, perished. The second thing they overlook is the fact that God did destroy by water the world that existed. There was a worldwide flood that destroyed every living thing except eight that were on that ark. They are willingly ignorant of that. That's Peter's words. They are willingly ignorant. The earth was covered by water. Why? By the command of God. God commanded the earth to be flooded, and it was flooded. When did the water recede? When God, by His Word, commanded it to recede. 
You see, their excuse is all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Is that true? No. Because even in the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, He flooded the earth as it was. Things have not continued as it was from the creation. It has changed. And now they're pointing to the reality that not only did they overlook those things, but look at verse number 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now, how? By the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So they are willingly ignorant of the fact that by the same word which created the earth, created the world, the same word that God, the same world that God destroyed by his word with water, it's the same word that created the world, that sustains the world, that says by his same word, he has reserved this earth for destruction by fire. Genesis 9, 11 through 15 teaches us that he will not again destroy the world by water. But 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 10 teaches us he will destroy it by fire. That rainbow that's been hijacked or attempted to be hijacked by the homosexual community has nothing to do with them. It's a promise that God made and that promise, every time you see that rainbow, and kids, every time you see that rainbow is God's promise that he will never, ever, ever flood this earth again. So every time you see one, I want you to go out there and I want you to say, that's God's promise. That's God's promise he'll never flood the earth again. No matter what man tries to do with what God has said, God's word sustains and upholds all things. He says, these are the things I want you to be mindful of. I want you to keep those in mind. Put you into remembrance. I'm stirring up your pure minds. Again, you have not heard me say anything tonight that to a child of God is new to you, except maybe our little ones. But you who are adults, young men, young ladies, who've been, you should know these things. This is what the Word of God says. So he says, be mindful. The second natural heading is verses 8 through 10. He says, be not ignorant. Notice verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Now verses 1 through 7 gave us two things to be mindful of and three things that people are willingly ignorant of. In verses 8 through 10, Peter says, don't be ignorant of this one thing. So verses 8, 9, and 10 are all about one thing. Verse 8, he says, One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Apostle Peter here, again, addressing the believers, calls them beloved. Beloved are those who are saved, those that are in Christ. He wants them to remember, let these scoffers and let these mockers let them do all that they will. But the reality is that the length of time that has passed since the promise of Christ's coming has absolutely positively no significance on the fulfillment of that promise. In other words, it doesn't matter if that promise was made a million years ago. The promise will still come true. 
The sad reality is, is where is the promise of His coming? There are believers who have started to mock at that. Professing believers who say, look, I keep, I've been going to church all my life and I've heard that preacher stand up there in some churches for 50 years. He keeps saying, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And He's not coming. Can you believe it? There are actually people who claim to be Christians who do not believe any longer about the second coming of Christ. How does that even happen? Because we go to sleep. We don't, we're not put into remembrance. All that time when those who are decided, I, I don't need to be under the sound teaching and preaching of the Word anymore. I, I do my own independent study at home. I, I don't need those things. Those are the people that almost, there's almost a direct correlation between those who are now once believed in the second coming, who no longer do, are people that have sat out of church for a long time. Because people just say, oh, the gathering of the church really doesn't matter. The gathering of the church is the most important meetings you could attend all week long. There's nothing more important than that. And yet we neglect it. Can you even think and imagine people who claim to know Christ as their Savior saying, where's the promise of His coming? He's not coming again. But Peter very clearly says one day is a thousand years. He's trying to give us perspective of the eternality of God that we think about time and we think about term of time. That's nothing to God. Again, lest I remind you, time is not a factor with God. We are the ones driven and sadly slaves to time. But then notice... He not only says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, this is a verse that has been taken out of context. It gets isolated, and it's just used to determine that God is not willing that anybody should die unsaved. Except that's not the context of what's happening. And remember, the entire context of what's happening here is about the coming of Christ and the scoffers who are saying, Jesus Christ is not coming again. There's not going to be a destruction of the earth. There's not, these things are just continuing. But this gives us a precious reason to those who are God's children as to how we can view what appears to be a delay. Okay, and I want you to think about it this way because this is, this is contextually right. Why is there a delay or seemingly a delay? What's the purpose of that delay? How should we as the elect of God look at that? Because you take the Bible as a whole. You take John chapter number 6 about the Father drawing all or sending all to the Son as a gift and He will draw all to Himself. This is a promise that God Himself is unwilling that a single one of His children will perish. So you know what's happening? When the last elect child of God is converted, Jesus Christ is coming. Do you know when that is? Nope. Neither do I. But can I know the promise that He will not leave one of His children behind? He's unwilling that any of His shall perish. This does not teach universal salvation. 
This is the promise that has been made to his children. The all there is all of us. Who is Peter writing to? This is not an evangelistic verse to preach. This is a promise to those who are already in Christ. (laughs) That's a huge difference. This isn't evangelism right here. This is edification. That not one of them is going to fail to come to repentance before he comes again. Now, think about that for a minute and think about the ramifications of that. If you know someone who is not yet converted, is that not the greatest promise you've ever heard? Because he's not going to come again until all of his children, all of the elect. So when we fret and we wonder, are our loved ones going to be saved? As long as this world continues as it is, you continue to take heart. You keep praying for your children. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. He will not leave any that are His. It's a great promise. But notice verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Remember, he's saying, don't be ignorant of this, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now we could go a lot deeper than this, but I want us for the purposes of this study to simply look at this and to take it in as to what it's telling us. His coming... The second coming of Christ that's being scoffed at and mocked will come suddenly. And it will come in an hour when you think it won't. You see, the further and further away man gets away from believing these things, the more sudden his return is going to be. The entire world is going to be destroyed by fire. Yet his elect will not perish. They will be saved. Be mindful. Secondly, be not ignorant. Third, the natural heading here is to be diligent. Be diligent about what? Well, he tells us. He keeps using the word numbers and things. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What's he mean when he says all these things? Everything you see Seeing that all these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye saved, redeemed, believers to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Here's the application. It's the third heading and also the application. What type of person should we be seeing that all these things are going to dissolve? He gives us Specifically, what to be diligent in. Verses 11 and 12, look, he says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Believing that the earth and all there is, whether it's of the flesh, whether it's of nature, will be utterly destroyed, what type of people, believers, Christians, should we be? Well, one thing we know we shouldn't be, We shouldn't be scoffers. We shouldn't be disbelievers. 
We shouldn't ridicule his coming. We should be what? Verse 12, looking for and hastening. Even so, come quickly, Lord. The coming of the day. Certainly, the day of his coming. We're not to be indifferent to these things. We're not to be wrapped up in the things of this world, but we are to be holy, pure, unmixed, sincere, like we saw Peter says in the beginning, stir up your pure minds while we're waiting for the Lord's return. Now again, don't turn this into some kind of legalism that says, okay, what acts of works do I have to do? What do we do when we are looking for and hasting His return? We ought to be praying. We ought to be hearing and listening to the Word of God. We ought to be reading the Word of God. And we ought to be living soberly and righteously in this present evil world. In other words, we're not just indifferent to this. We don't just simply say, yeah, he's coming again and I'm just going to kind of sit here and do nothing. We are to be diligently living out our holy conversation. So be diligent. Verses 13 and 14. Nevertheless, we, I circled that word we, he's talking about believers here. It's not universal salvation. We, those who are in Christ, according to his promise, that's God's promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Oh, this is beautiful. We look for a new heaven and a new earth where nothing but righteousness dwells. This world is filled with sin. It's filled with corruption. Right? It's man is corrupt. The tree's not corrupt. The streams aren't corrupt. It's not that they're sinners, but it's filled with unrighteousness. But you know what the new heavens and the new earth will be? Where only righteousness dwells. There is no sin. According to His promise, we are to look for these new heavens and look for this new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness for all those that are in Christ. So what is Peter saying? He's saying something very similar to what Paul says about how he viewed life in light of what was going on even in his day and age. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. I want you to see this for yourself because this, this passage, we often read it and there's a lot of good principles here. But Paul makes an important statement here and this is, this is living proof of what it means to be diligent in looking and hastening for the day in which nothing but righteousness dwells. Philippians 3, verse 7. Part of Paul's testimony here, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Everything in this world, he counted it as dung. For what purpose? That I may win Christ. Paul was simply saying anything that prevents me or keeps me from the knowledge, the glory of Christ should be treated as nothing more than refuge, trash, rubbish, 
that his entire life was that I may win Christ, and then maybe even more important than what he said, and be found in him, not having mine, none, nothing of my own righteousness, which is of the law. If you read the first part of chapter 3, he's been talking about what he used to be, how he used to persecute the church, and he thought his righteousness was good enough. And he says, no, this is now, this is my own righteousness is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here's what our testimony should be right here, verse 10. That I may know Him. That's Christ. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Just stop for a minute. Paul says, I haven't even fully apprehended what I need to know about Christ. Can you imagine the arrogancy of a Christian today saying, I've apprehended all I need to know about Christ when Paul couldn't even say that? Talk about putting the theological pride-filled people in their place. Paul said, I am not even close to apprehending Christ. But this one thing I do. Here's another one thing. We're hearing two things, three things, one thing. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, the goal, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, see if this sounds familiar, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. One mind, be mindful. Be not ignorant. Be diligent in these truths. The only thing we should really be concerned about is found in Christ Jesus and the day of his coming. You see, the very truth is that the reason for the delay, the perceived delay, folks, is the long-suffering and the mercy of God. I, for one, am thankful for the long-suffering and the mercy of God. Because one day... The day of the Lord, His second coming will come and it will come upon us and it will come upon this world like a thief in the night. In view of this, what type of lives should we be living is what Peter is giving us here. Consider what he says here in verses 15 through 16. An account... Go back to verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Remember what he said, be mindful of the commandments of the apostles? He even make He's making reference now to, remember what Paul said? And we just read that. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. 
there are some truths we have a hard time comprehending. But he also says, we looked at this verse last week or the week before, which they that are unlearned, that means untaught and unstable, rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. He kind of makes a reference back to the false teachers and also the scoffers. In other words, they take the scripture, they misuse it, misapply it, and use it to feed their own fallacy. But consider what you know. The unlearned, the unstable, they twist these scriptures to their own destruction. And then he ends it by saying what's a natural doxology and benediction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before. Seeing you know these things ahead of time, you know you should be mindful, you know you should be not ignorant of these things, you know you should be diligent, you know it should change the way you live your life, you should be looking and hastening the return of our Lord. Beware. Now that could be a natural fourth heading. Beware. Lest ye also, being led away, with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Those churches and believers who no longer believe in the second coming of Christ have been led astray with the error of the wicked. There are congregations who have never heard their pastors or elders one time say, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Don't be led away. Don't be led away by the questioning, scoffing of the world that says, where's the promise of his coming? Sometimes we think we're strong enough to handle conversations with people who don't believe like we do, only to find out we're not so steadfast in what we really believe. I've heard more than, on more than one occasion somebody who decided I could go, they could go toe-to-toe with somebody else who believed something that they didn't believe, and instead of them convincing the other, they got led astray. Oftentimes, it's because we overestimate what we actually know. Every one of us needs to be mindful of these things, including this preacher. This is not an admonition towards you saying, look, you all need to be like me and be as mindful and be as diligent and be as not, don't be ignorant. I'm, I am in this saying, this sermon is for me. Beware that you're not led astray. You're aware of these mysteries, even these things which are hard to be understood. Stand firm and courageously. Don't be led away from them. And he, he goes on and he says, not only are we to stand, but look, he gives a specific command, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That sounds a lot like what Paul said in Philippians. Not only are we to stand where we already are, but we're to grow in that knowledge. Listen, let me just ask a very direct question today. How have you grown in grace this day? How have you grown in the knowledge of Christ today? Was Christ and His Word even a part of your day today? Or is this the first time that you've actually even opened the Scriptures today? Look, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. 
But how are we supposed to live in a world like this if we think we can go a single moment, a single day, a single hour without this book and without God? Most people who struggle, struggle because they do not open this book. It's fact. They don't open it. How can you stand if you don't know what the Word of God says? Well, I already covered that. Preacher, you, you preached a whole sermon series on the book of John. We already covered that. You need to go back and read it again and again and again. The Christian life and growing in grace is not covering one subject and then checking off the box and saying, we've already covered that. You keep going back to it and back to it and being reminded, put into remembrance. Remember Peter said to stir up your pure minds, your sincere, unmixed mind. You know what we were seeing in Philippians 3 when Paul was saying that? He was showing us what a pure, unmixed mind looks like. But yet he came to a conclusion in his own life. Even I haven't apprehended it to where I can say it's fully sincere and unmixed the way it should be. But that's my goal. Your one goal in life, my one goal in life should be to know Christ. Someone says, what do you want to do with your life? Young people. Someone says, what do you want to do with your life? The first thing you should say that I may know Christ not that I might be this profession, not that I might do this for a living, not that I might get married, not, no, that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's the evidence that you're growing in grace. Parents, you have to teach your children what is most important that they may know Christ. Who's going to point them to Christ? We have a responsibility to point our children, our grandchildren, to Christ. You see, the purified minds of Christians are to be stirred up. We should be active in how we live. We should be active in the work of holiness. There are scoffers in these last days. There are people who will make light of sin. There are people who are mocking your very salvation in Jesus Christ. God's already said in His Word that this is going to happen. There are those who will never believe that He is not coming again. Who rationalize by saying, because nothing's changing in the world. The sun came up today. The sun's going down today. It's just like it was yesterday. That's what the scoffer says. He's never coming again. And then what does the Bible say? Like a thief in the night. Like a thief. Had these scoffers simply considered what's already taken place, God swept away an entire world, an ungodly world, in a flood. Certainly they would not scoff. At, we can only determine is an equally terrible judgment. Many didn't believe that the flood would come either. And there's the same... There's the same reasoning in the world today. They do not believe that the world is going to be destroyed by fire. But just as certain as this world was covered in water, it's going to be destroyed by fire. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says it's going to happen. Someone asks you, what's your evidence? What's your proof? Don't go trying to find some scientific answer to this. Do you know how settled you should be in this, that this book 
is your authority? Some Christians are afraid to even use the Bible as their authority. And they say, well, I'm sure I could find some scientific evidence to show you why the flood really happened. You don't need scientific evidence. The Word of God is the authority. When someone mocks at the flood and they mock these things, don't back off of it. Be mindful. Don't be ignorant of this. Be diligent. You see, Christians are taught and established. And we also ought to rejoice in the truth of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are things we need to be mindful of. I hope tonight that as believers here, that we have been stirred. Not to some emotion, but stirred to truly believe and truly be put into remembrance. Jesus Christ is coming again. When the world says, where's the promise of his coming? The word of God says he's coming again. That's where we stand. That's our certainty is the truth of God's word. Amen. Well, let's finish our time tonight by singing the hymn 154 in the hymns of grace. Oh, the deep, deep love 154.